welcome to another episode of Xenochat. I am one of the hosts, Tyler, along with uh, the co-host, Justin. What's up, Xenofam, and welcome back to another episode. Um, the returning guests are Mary. Hello. And we also have Blue joining us again. Konnichiwa, minasan. And we also have Owen. Hello, hello, hello. Long All time right. no see. <laughs> yes, Indeed. welcome back. I think the last episode you were on was the Shulk episode. If I'm yeah, not and, and yeah, then that sounds about right. And then high school got crazy. <laughs> uh, well, this is good timing because today's episode is all about Xenoblade and how much we love it. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Because well, this goes into our news, but by the time this episode is up, Xenoblade Definitive Edition should be available, and we should all be enjoying it. Um, yeah, y'all better have bought it. You all, I I will be waiting for my European edition. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're Owen and you're cool and got that version. Oh my god, which we should have gotten as well. But so apparently, Nintendo thinks that Americans don't want it. We just deserve the art book, which I'm excited about the art book. But... Yeah, the art book is going to be really nice. Um, that does look really good. Even though I do kind of wish that we got the soundtrack that Japan got as well. Yeah, the soundtrack would have been great. I- I'm happy about the artwork, though, because I'm always about art books. But at the same time, I would have loved to have a soundtrack with it. <laughs> if people yeah. are interested, um, according to my friend, uh, the Japanese special edition, they're selling the parts individually from like the Nintendo oh. Japan website. So if you want the- that stuff, you can get it. Oh, oh that's really? pretty good. That's yeah. cool. That's neat. Oh, didn't they also... Because I think you posted this the other day, Justin. They're also... Uh, doesn't Ami Ami have some merch? Yes. Ami Ami has a whole bunch of Xenoblade merch. I found that out, like, two days ago. Just the other day that I that I found that out. And, um, yeah, a lot of people are pumped about it because I posted it on Twitter. And then that tweet, like, blew up. But, uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of Xenoblade 1 goodies that are up for pre-order on Ami Ami right now. Like, they have a bunch of character keychains and charms. Yeah, I saw them. They were cool. It's like, and they had, that, they had that one metallic Monado. Like, I don't know. Is that a keychain or is it a necklace? I think they're all keychains, but I'm I think not they're sure. all keychains, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a keychain. It's just, uh, there's one of the Monado that was uh, a bit bigger. And that's the one I'm looking at right now. A bit more fancy. And that one is mm-hmm. super expensive. But the other one is actually, I think, a set of gacha. Chibi Monados that are a bit cheaper because it's like basically the old Japan. I think I think you you buy the the whole box containing all of the the, the different symbols, mm. but I don't think you can buy the tiny ones separated from what I've seen. Like I think it's really the box that you buy, but generally you save a lot of money by doing that because you usually get the whole set if you buy a box of gacha. Usually. I mean if you if you get the small if you get the small one you can make Lynn hair clips. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Hope with the Lynn cosplay. What's kinda nice is that if you buy like those sets on Ami Ami, you'll get like the box that they ship in. Like the same box that you'll see at like at uh stores. Yeah that's what I meant. Like it's the full box. It's not like the separated thing. Although the the character ones, I think those were singular. They didn't seem to have a box, so these seem to be sold only, like, separated. I honestly don't know too much about it, but, um... Yeah, what is kind of nice, uh, hold on. 
just to show you how popular this is getting. So if I go on to Ami Ami in the rankings, so those little Monados, like the gotcha ones, that mm-hmm. is number one in trading figures right now. Oh. And here's a ranking for character goods. So those Xenoblade keychains are like dominating the character goods list right now for the top 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they um, are. Number one is the Monado that we we're talking about. And then numbers two through eight are the character on the, yeah, the character keychains. So who wants to bet what number two is, or I guess the best, the highest ranked one? I don't know. Melia? It is in fact Melia. It goes oh, Melia, yeah. then Shulk, then Fiora, then Sharla, of course. then Ryan, oh. then Dunban, and last is Ricky. Oh, Ricky. They, they screwed my boy over. <laughs> oh, Poor Ricky. He's his mascot, though. He should be he's higher. A, yeah, he, and he's a, he can be a pineapple in the new game. <laughs> that pineapple costume is so it. It's so hilarious. So you know what you need to do, Xenofan? Y'all gotta go to Ami Ami right now. Hit up that Ricky keychain and hit pre-order. Well, actually, it would probably be out by the time this comes up. So buy that Ricky keychain if it's still up. Bring him up in the ranking. It says it's coming out mid uh, late June 2020, so it might not be out yet. All right, perfect. Yeah. So yeah, uh, go on Good. to Ami Ami. Hit up those keychains. They look great. I actually want to pre-order a couple of them myself um, because they, they just look awesome. I may need to get the Monado. Yeah, I, I definitely want the Monado at the very least. And probably the Melia one. Uh, you're like, yeah, like, I I am all for Xenoblade merch. Like, that's why I was so excited when I saw this come up. Because I was just like, oh my goodness, Nintendo's actually giving us merch. We're finally getting merch. <laughs> and, like, and we've spoken about this on a podcast before, about how they need to give us merch. So, it's finally happening. Yeah, they're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Does anyone find it interesting how, like, of like the, the, the original releases of the Xenoblade games... Xenoblade 1 got the least amount. Like, Xenoblade X got, like, the... The scale models. The scale models. models. And, like, Xenoblade 2 got frickin' everything. And now, like, they're finally bringing out Xenoblade 1 stuff. Xenoblade 2 only got super expensive figures. Yeah, very limited ones. It did not really get small things. What we were hoping for was for them to release some type of, like, smaller type of goodies. Just for the fun of it, because... It's more affordable. People can actually enjoy those merchandise. Well, Xenoblade Two was like made for gacha. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand why they did not make any like gacha box of Xenoblade Two yet. I'm just like, guys, you're missing out on this. You should have made something with gacha. Like at least a cheap, mm. maybe some chibi uh, figurines or something that they sell in the gacha boxes. I mean, they have all those different rare blades that they could have. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, they could it's, make yeah. different series too. Like they could make multiple series, and people would totally buy them. <laughs> I know I would. Oh yeah, I, I would definitely pre-order like the the whole box sets. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that was probably um the biggest surprise in terms of Xenoblade news is just seeing some merch finally come out. So that's pretty cool. And hopefully this sells pretty well. I think it is going to do fairly well. Um, Xenoblade fans are nuts. Yeah. They will buy any of this stuff. Because, like, even Xenoblade 2, like, the Pyramitha figure, those sold out during their initial print run and ended up going for a ton of money. And they were bootlegged to high hell. 
And I mean, now I think they're still yeah. up for pre-order. Pretty sure. Uh, yeah, but I don't know if they're full yet or not. I, I don't know, think they are. I know Cosmos is is full. It's been for some time now. But also the, the other news. Bad news. Uh, yeah. Cosmos has been delayed, though I was expecting it yeah. honestly. But yeah, she's been mm-hmm. delayed to July. We'll see if it's gonna really come by July or be delayed again. But oh wait, nope. It's yeah. also a very detailed figurine. So Pre-tail, uh, pre-orders are closed for both Pyra and Mithra on Ami Ami. That means they're full. That means they're full. I'm glad I got my my Pyra figure when I did. <laughs> <laughs> but to think, this is the second run that their their pre-orders are full. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be fair, that they are really, that's, that really shows nice that, they, that they should really do more merchandise with Zeno. <laughs> I think they're going to do a Melia one. Depending on like how that popular cool. this is, I, I could definitely see a Melia statue coming. I can, I, I can I totally see that. I would totally order Melia, because she's like... Yeah, cool. she's, I've I said would... before, she's one of my favorite characters. Um, I would be all over that. You know what I want? Oh. Hmm? I want Metal Face as a figure. That'd be cool. <laughs> that would, that be, would cool. be cool. That would be really cool. Maybe it could be a uh, Yeah, I guess I'm being a nice cool. little kit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's uh, the merch news. Um, anybody want to comment on the actual game news? Because uh, over the last few weeks, like so much stuff's been released on Twitter regarding Definitive Edition. Oh it's like insane. Uh, I'll be honest, like I've watched bits and pieces of things here and there, but like overall, I kind of try to keep myself a bit cleaner mm-hmm. of the actual footage because, like, I did check. I did check like one of the videos that was showing some of the battle system though, because I was curious to see if they made changes or anything to the battle system. But it seems like it's pretty much the same thing, just kind of smoothed out. Like, I don't think they really uh, added that much stuff, but we'll see when that it releases. I know yeah, I'm future not. Connect- I know at least Future Connected's battle system is supposed to be different, but I haven't really. I don't much. know what's different about it. At least, not yeah. yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All we know is that they are... I think they said that they are drastically changing it, which, honestly, this is the company that thought that changing up the battle system for Torna was a good idea, so I'm not surprised. Honestly, which, the battle I, system of Torna was so good. Oh, I love the battle system of Torna. It was fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, they announced oh so much stuff on their twitter like new outfits to earn in the new basically land of challenge-esque mode for definitive edition so and just seems like there's just enhancing like how you go about like searching out quests and like very like minor things but it's overall seems like it's gonna really improve the experience and i at first i thought i was gonna just jump into future connected but now i'm seriously thinking i'll probably just start the whole game over see i want to do that the only problem is that i know that um spoilers are gonna be all over the place with this one and also i really want to jump into future connected sooner rather than later for something else that i'm working on so Mm -hmm. uh yeah i might have to just hop right into that uh, just so i can get through that because i don't think it's gonna be that long of a campaign it's probably be like torna's length 
But um, yeah, yeah. Maybe. I want I want to get. Into I still don't know sure. if I'm gonna jump directly on that or not though, because since it's like the following of it, I I'm not sure if I should just replay the actual game or I'll see. <laughs> I'll see how I feel when I boot the game. I'm definitely restarting the game from the start, um, partially because I've been meaning to replay the game for a very long time, and partially mm-hmm. because I have 120 page of quest notes, and they're just going to waste right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Wow. <laughs> that is crazy. Mm-hmm. Alright. Okay, so yeah, we just got through most of the news. We were just talking about the new features for the Definitive Edition. Um, yeah. So blue, are you going to? Uh, are you thinking about? Or are you getting the definitive? Yes, edition? I already uh, pre-ordered it. Oh, nice. Good. So are you going to start from the very beginning, or are you going to jump right into future? Of course, games? I'm going to start at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, it'll make. That I think I'm going to start at the beginning myself as well. Yeah, it's going to make future connected uh, that much better. I think. Yeah. Same. Yeah, because I I haven't really played through it like all the way through and since like the first time I played it on the Wii, and then I didn't finish it on the 3DS. So yeah, I played it way back when it came out, but more recently I rewatched the cutscenes, so the story is still pretty fresh Mm. on my mind. Gotcha. I don't think it'll ever disappear from my mind. I lived and breathed them for like (laughs) half a year one time. Fair. You're physically, you're physically like us with like Exilosaka. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, that's that. Yeah. If I were to give a conservative estimate, I would say I have at least an hour of dialogue memorized, if not more. I mean, it's a very memorable game. Like, I, the, some of those cutscenes have always stuck with me. Um, I've said this before. Uh, Dunban's "I Will Not Cry" speech just hits home on such a personal level for me. Okay, well, I guess we can kind of, that kept me like segues into the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of if there was any time just... to break in, there was this time. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're just talking about how much we all love uh, Xenoblade Chronicles. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, I don't know how we want to do this if anybody wants to start off by, like, talking about their personal experience with the game or anything they. I guess. We could always let uh, Owen start, I guess. I mean, <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, so Xenoblade, um, I, I think, uh, I believe I was the one who uh, recommended us doing this topic like a year ago, so um, yeah, I can go start. Xenoblades, uh, for me, has always been, um, it's kind of, it's the game that taught me that, that, uh, the games could be a story, really. Um, I first experienced it... I've told this story before on the on the show, but uh, I first experienced it through Trigger Conroy um, in 2015. Um, and then I found uh, the co- I found my copy at a random GameStop in, uh, during a road trip. And from that point on to today, it's just constantly stuck in my mind as not only a great story, but also just great storytelling. It, the pacing is brilliant. Everything is... Awesome. I know that uh, for me, when I whenever I think about why Xenoblade is so important, I think that this is the first time that Takahashi was ever able to complete his vision. Um, mm-hmm. Because as we all know from his other projects, uh, Xenogears and Xenosaga, he 
he's very ambitious, and that's a very good thing. But he doesn't actually. He's not very good at finishing things through, mostly just because of how corporate structure works. And so for this one, it it felt like he was really starting to learn how much you can put into it and how much you should save. So mm-hmm. he he focused more on telling an individual story that could possibly uh, expand into a greater narrative, which later happened. Um, or if the if it was a commercial flop, then it would be completely fine as it was. Um, and he's learned from that. And he, over time, he's um, he Xenoblade Chronicles X was a challenging development for him, and Xenoblade Two, I think, he stepped away from the directorial position and became the like the he became like the creative lead, but wasn't like any directly involved in the directing process. Um, but it's just it's a game that is kind of a, a process for everyone to go through because it's a learning, it was a learning experience to make for Monolith Soft mm-hmm. to make. It was a learning experience for uh, everyone who played it um, that maybe you weren't playing Xenogears or Xenosaga and maybe you've been a Nintendo guy all your life and you've only played Bait and Kaitos uh, if you were at all new about this, uh, this random studio. Um, and here's the studio that also makes modern Zelda games uh, said, what if we took the fanciness of the Master Sword or whatever, and just combined it with what we already had, and that became Xenoblade. I'm not that I'm not claiming that's what it is, but that's my headcanon. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, that, it's true that like whenever whenever Xenoblade came by, it's true that like it, it was a big change, and like it was still like there's they still have their very unique way of writing stories. That's like it always has this touch that you can tell it's kind of them, kind of. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I'm just my... glad. I'm just glad that they they managed to come, do a comeback with this game. Like, oh, I think 100%. it's the. I think it's the the main thing that makes so like I'm so grateful to Xenoblade because then it kind of made Monolith come back on the map, sort of, because they had been quiet for some time before that and the US like got it so late we had to fight to the death for it <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah the good old campaign I remember those days ah. um, when like they announced yeah. it for Japan and Europe was getting it and Nintendo of America apparently didn't think that we wanted it so they had no plans to release it here and it, it, it sucks because yeah. it, they like the excuse for it, I guess, was that a lot of people weren't playing Wii games by that point. Like, because for a lot of the Wii's lifespan, a ton of people overlooked many of its good games. And it's only now that people are really like giving the Wii its due praise because like a lot of uh, a lot of collectors are now getting onto the Wii and finding all these quote unquote hidden gems that they ignored for years. Yeah. Because I remember this, like the Wii was out, and there were so many people I knew who refused to touch the Wii because it was the uh-huh. kitty console. It didn't have HD. You didn't have your violent games on it. So a lot of people saw the Wii as like a lesser product, and because of it many of the games that came out for the system got completely ignored. A lot of people said the Wii had no good games. Everything sucked on it. It was just shovelware, and that's not entirely true. What? There was a bunch of good games on it. It's just they were kind of scattered, but I feel like the Wii was also a lot of an era that was kind of like 
not ignoring GRPGs, but I feel like they felt it would not profit, and so often a lot of RPGs or some like Japanese games like did not make it. Let's and, let's be honest here. Yeah. The the seventh generation of consoles was not the time of JRPGs. It was, I would argue yes. it was not the time for Japanese games in general. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies that seemed around that time, it's not. I don't want to say that like they weren't putting out good games because they were. There was definitely some gems during that era. It's just that I feel like they were kind of um, they were they were kind of trying to figure out how to adapt their style to what was at the time appropriate modern tastes. And I think that like once they saw how Western games were flourishing during that era, they were trying to think to themselves, wow, we need to compete with this. So that's why they started designing certain games in the way they were, like FF13. They figured this might be something that would appeal to the Western market. Other companies were doing the same thing. And there's a lot of games that either didn't even come out because they figured we just wouldn't like it or maybe the style that they had before wasn't profitable anymore. So it was kind of like this weird period where they just weren't sure what to do. I mean, look at the Tales of series. It took them a while to bring some of those over. And then when they did bring over Vesperia, like it didn't do very well on Xbox. I I think it did okay. Like some people bought it considering, but like, to this day, I still well, I, mean, I still hear a lot of people say they completely missed it on the original on Xbox 360. Well, I mean, like look at look at like the the climate, right? I mean, this is uh this is the second generation the Xbox is in, um, which is the very first American game console since the Atari 2600 was dominant. Um, well, not first ever, but you know what I mean. Um, then you have uh then you have things like Steam coming out, and then uh, and then suddenly it become, and then and then also the the Japanese industry to that point had been very like focused on power and um, and like graphical c- capabilities. Um, chief of all, Square Enix, uh, and um, it kind of that kind of caught up with them. And then Nintendo kind of backed away. And then all the Japanese role playing game companies, which is since I mean it's it's a little bit more popular now, but at the time it was an extremely niche genre outside of something like Pokemon. Yeah, um, but I I think they like actually uh, my friend just told me because he's listening. But yeah, I think also the the Wii was also very focused on kids, and it's a good point to say like they were trying to reach out younger audience, and I think that kind of influenced a lot some of the games that came on it as well. Well, it's it. I mean, I would agree with that, except for the fact that um, aside from things like Final Fantasy thirteen and like some rare experiences like rare uh things like Mistwalkers, like lost odyssey for example yeah not really anything came out on ps3 either i mean we didn't like persona 5 was supposed to come out but that didn't happen for years yeah. and years and years ps3 was like yeah. a little bit of a slow burn um the first few years especially mm-hmm. didn't have too oh, much yeah. you had a couple smaller yeah. ones here and there uh but later on, a lot of the niche companies stepped up. Like, you had a lot of NIS games coming out on PS3. There's a ton of those. Um, mm-hmm. I think Access Games also put out a few. Axie started getting stuff out as well. Um, I think it was just one of those weird times where, for a good amount of that generation, uh, people felt like they weren't getting too much. And 
to yeah. their credit, a lot of the RPGs that were coming out weren't really getting great scores at all. And a lot of PSP mm-hmm. games got really bad scores early on. Uh, some of the Wii RPGs flew completely under the radar, like Opuna, for example, or Arc Rise Fantasia. I know both of those games have their fans today. There's people I know who will even say, like, Arc Rise is one of their favorite games ever, but both of those games completely flew under the radar when they came out. But let's not... But, like, the reason why I think Xenoblade is so interesting in this in this discussion is that the good games never disappeared because there was the DS and the PSP. Right. I mean, like you said, that a lot of PSP RPGs weren't particularly great, but... Um, I mean, like, there was things like Crisis Core, and then on the DS, you had frickin' Atlas making uh, Rain Historia right. and uh, uh, Strange Journey and things like that. Like, the the portable industry is, like, I, I, one day I want to write a book about how the JRPG has evolved since the 1980s. And this is the era where it was predominantly all on right, portables. Right, Um. And then Xenoblade comes out, and it, along with, I mean, like, the Holy Trinity, it's the cult, it's kind of like a Holy Trinity of Last Story, Pandora's Tower, and Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, it kind of, Xenoblade specifically comes back and kind of shows people how to do console RPG, console Japanese role-playing games in a era where things like Dark Souls are ranked supreme, and Western philosophy with Skyrim and Fallout are uh, kind of the new popular games, because really... Uh, the JRPG used to be known for its story, and suddenly technology catches up with uh, them, and the Western RPGs can tell just as good stories in different ways, and they become more popular. Yeah, so, but I think it's also, like, for the longest time, a lot of the RPGs were mostly also turn-based, and I feel yeah. people were going more and more toward action games, that, That's so another like technology was raising as well. Uh, so, I think for a while, like, RPG makers had a well had a certain difficulty of like just finding the correct balance between like they were struggling the to find an audience and like the story and like they, they were struggling to understand the audience yeah. because because you also have to realize that um that generation like Xbox 360 PS3 that brought a lot of new people into video games mm-hmm. uh, like games before that generation a game selling well was like. 300,000, 500,000 units. Like, you'd, you'd hear those numbers, you'd be like, wow, that's a success. Oh my goodness. There weren't a lot of games that were, you know, hitting million sellers. There was a few, sure. But once we got to that generation, people really started to jump into there. Like, the million started becoming 10 million, for example. People, there's a lot of people I know who their first real console was the Xbox 360. They might have had a GameCube, they might have had a PS2, but they didn't really care too much about it. Um, RPGs were, weren't really on a lot of people's minds at the time. Even in the PS2 era, it was really just like that niche crowd because that niche crowd was there from the 90s. So those are the people who are buying it. Well, once the, se- the only people who people who bought PS2s bought it for the DVD player. That was that's another thing. That's another conversation too. Yes. Uh, the DVD player was a big one, but what I'm trying to say is that the PS2 still had a, a big amount of that PS2 audience still was from the PS1 and the Super Nintendo who liked the RPGs, liked those niche games. They were also buying PS2s. They were also buying those games. But once you got like Xbox 360 and PS3, that's when everybody else jumped in on it. And unfortunately, that everybody else, they're not all down with turn-based RPGs the way that we might be. And I think that made it kind of difficult for some companies to 
try and find that balance, trying to make sure that their games appeal to as big of an audience as possible. Um, I think handhelds is kind of weird because I feel like turn-based is a little is a lot more accepted on handhelds than it is in consoles. There's people I know who refuse to play a turn-based RPG on console, believe it or not. A lot of people say that, oh, it's weird when I play it on a TV, but it makes sense when I play it in handheld. And I think that's a uh, that that's not like an uncommon belief or and also multiplayer gaming that was also on the rise during that generation too. RPGs are typically single player, at least that style tends to be single player. So there's a lot of factors that led into why um, it might have been more difficult to capture an audience during that particular generation. And I think that's why quite a few companies struggled a bit with it. Eventually, I think they they understood their audience. They knew um, how to identify a niche and stick to that niche. And they were a little yeah. bit better about it since. But that generation was kind of weird for them. It's It was the awkward period between the PS2 and the anime breakout in North America. Because anime kind of really got into America once, like around 2012-ish, 2013. Um, I, would, I would actually so argue beforehand, this was kind of like, but sure. I mean, that's where that's really where it gets, like, where it really starts to get big, where you start seeing a lot of... Um, like a lot of the design flaws. This is where you start seeing games become a lot more, for lack of a better word, anime. Well, I think um, what that is is that is Japanese developers finally able to achieve what they couldn't do back then. Because even if true. you look at older '90s uh, Japanese games, they've always been trying to go for that anime aesthetic, right down to Ease Book One and Two on the PC Engine CD that had anime cutscenes that had voice acting. That that was an aesthetic that they were essentially always working towards and once they got to ps1 uh when that was doing well like they were finally able to they were given a platform where they could do that and they can really start to realize it and now today we got we got consoles that are even stronger they're able to just go all out um so like the anime mm-hmm. aesthetic is no longer just character art or promotional art it's actual game graphics now yeah but yeah there's so many aspects and factors into why uh that particular era was weird for rpgs that can be its own podcast like you said you want to write a book about it and there's lots you can talk about in that book from just that one Mm -hmm. era alone but uh, it is it is interesting that uh, xenoblade came out and i think xenoblade is one of the most influential rpgs just honestly in general because you can look at a lot of modern rpgs they all seem to kind of take a bit from Xenoblade. Like there was a there was a great tweet a while back that showed Xenoblade, like its UI and its aesthetics, and then it compared it to other modern JRPGs, and they're just saying like it's crazy how all these games kind of owe quite a bit to Xenoblade because like it did a lot of both things. You know, one of the big ones is that it doesn't have an overworld map in the traditional sense, right? Everything mm-hmm. is a series of big interconnected areas, which you see in other games like. Tales of Berseria is basically like that. It's not... Yeah. You don't have, like, a traditional world map like you used to in the older tales. hmm And that's just one example. I'm sure you could find other examples, too. Uh, Xenoblade also incorporated the MMO-style questing. It also has auto-attacking, which... Yeah, but I, I think I, I did... What I did like when I first started that game is how unique the system was. Like, it was... It was like a mix of different things, mm-hmm. but it was working and it was pretty cool. And I like how over the like 
more time as they made more games. Like, I like how they kind of kept that system, but like made it smoother and smoother and had more stuff to it. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really fun. Yeah, it's really I'm firmly in the, I'm firmly in the belief that Monolith Soft is is one of the top ten uh, studios in the game industry right now. Um, maybe not in purely kind of output, but in just in their purely development talent. I mean, the I mean, there is there is that kind of divide that Xenoblade was kind of like it was like the it was revolutionary. It kind of started this new era of uh, kind of different kind of JRPGs. Um, and the reason why Monolith is so good at consistently keeping it up is just because they've been in the game probably amongst among the longest of anyone out there. Uh, I mean, at least comparable with uh, other Japanese uh, RPG companies when it comes to this particular style of game. Hmm. Um, and, like, they're obviously doing side help for Nintendo for their Zelda, Splatoon, and Animal Crossing titles, so they are consistently getting a lot of talent out of whatever um, they're doing. So it's just as kind of this kind of build up into this, uh, well, for lack of a better word, monolith of a development company. I think another thing the- that sets them apart is that they don't always throw away ideas. They build on them. And I think that's really good. Like, I love... That's part of why I like playing the new Xenoblade games. Because I love seeing an older idea. But I love seeing them build on that and make something new out of it. So, it's cool to see that, like, they'll look at their old games. They'll look at what works and what doesn't work. And they'll try to see if they can make it work in a sequel. Um, even if it means having to do something a little bit different. But still keeping the style and feel of the previous one like blade 2 for example it still has the arts and the cooldown but you know they're mapped to a button it's different yes but it still is in line with the spirit of what the previous games did yeah but also like even like, even it still feels like, a like they game. tend to do that sort of thing where sometimes they'll put an idea aside but then if they have a chance to use it later they do like, Torn is a good example of yeah, that. Uh, yeah, Torn is a great they, example of that. Didn't they uh, kind of alter the system from 2 to Torna? Yeah, they... They, they yeah. built on it. On like, it. They, stre- they streamlined it, but you still auto-attack. You still find the monsters on the field. You're still building the orbs. Like, the basic fundamentals of Xenoblade 2's system is still there. Yeah, they just basically improved this speed of it in a way and like improve the combos and stuff like they they did some improvement for for the battles to be a bit more fast-paced but overall it's still more or less the same system yeah and that's what i'm saying it's like it's not necessarily that they're keeping it the same uh do not misunderstand what i'm trying to say i mean that they take it and they iterate on yes, it that's exactly what i'm getting at yeah, that's, that's what makes so, it so cool to me. Uh, I love seeing when game companies do that. Like, one of my favorite game companies is Treasure. And they always iterate on their ideas. They'll, they'll make a game, and then they'll make a new game and that takes that concept and turns it on its head. And I love seeing that. It's crazy to me to think that, like, Bleach Dark Souls on the DS comes from a beat-em-up that took its engine from a Yu Yu Hakusho game, for example. <laughs> so like that that's, that's so cool crazy. exactly like that's the kind of stuff that i love seeing in in video games but uh yeah monolith to me they do something similar they always iterate on their ideas and i think that's awesome i mean if we're talking about like extreme iteration 
uh, Xenosaga episode one has a lot of uh, Xenogears esque combat. Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, Actually, you know, I could have this exact conversation with Xenosaga because for as much as I hate Xenosaga 2's battle system, I will give it credit where it deserves in the sense that it was iterating on Xenosaga episode 1's combat system. And now, and technically, it is an improvement. On paper, it absolutely is. They tried to expand on it. I get what they were going for with but... it. Just unfortunately, it wasn't well balanced. Or at least wasn't balanced to my liking, rather. It was well made, but the game itself wasn't designed around it. Exactly. Um, so, uh, we've covered... Um, a lot of the, uh, like a lot of the, the combat and specifically like the history of where Xenoblade shows up because it very much is an anomaly for the era. Mm-hmm. Um, what, let's talk about the, um, about how, uh, let's talk about the world and how expansive it is. Um, specifically, uh, how, how crazily they were able to push the Wii to its limits because, yes. uh, last night I was, I was watching, I was watching the Boundary Break episode for Xenoblade last night, um, if you guys have know what that mm-hmm. is. And basically, in every environment, they render so much. Um, they render the uh, they render the entire Bionis and often the entire Mechonis um, in real time, along with the massive environments, which alone are just incredible to look at. Um, and then they text they- everything is textured. Um, every like it doesn't matter if it looks out of bounds. You can probably if you could move the camera up there, it is everything is continuous. It's just it's fascinating in terms of how they designed that world, which I mean, on paper it's very simple. It's just map the parts of the human body on and turn them into maps, right? Um, but uh, it's just so much more than that because of the amount, the sheer amount of detail they put into it. Yeah, that's one of the things that really got me when I first played the game. Because yeah. I honestly didn't quite know what to expect when I played Xenoblade 1 for the first time. I was excited for the game. I knew about it. I was following it. But, like, actually playing it and, you know, obviously there's a title screen, which we've gushed about before and how oh, great that that's is. And then you start the game and you it. see, and then you finally get to, like, actually play it and you see how big everything was. Like... Like, think back to how you felt the first time you saw Gore Plains, for example. How freaking exciting was that? I was like, whoa, this is you. Oh my goodness. Like, and this is is why I love Xenoblade (laughs) 1. At the time, I was going through a lot of really horrible stuff. Um, I was struggling with school, um, a lot of some personal issues as well. But uh, Xenoblade was coming out. I had a pre order in, and that was kind of like my light at the end of whatever tunnel I was stuck in. And that was kind of like, all right, this game's going to come out. Hopefully I can get through this and then that game can come out. And But I was just going through so much stuff. And when I finally got Xenoblade and finally got to play it, it was just like, it was the break I needed at the time. Going to Gore Plains and being able to just run around just felt so liberating. And that was, that's always stuck with me. Like, all, like seeing... Gore Plains for the first time, seeing Satchel Marsh change from day to night. It's like, th- that's all imagery that will never leave my mind. And just how I felt every time I heard that, how I felt the first time I heard You Will Know Our Names, just so much about that game was able to just bring in, bring out all these positive and all these cheerful and motivating, all this like, all this uplifting energy that I just didn't have at the time. And that was so cool. Oh, the sense of um yeah wonder as well and the I, I and the game knows exactly that that's exactly what it wants you to yeah. feel because um if you look at it how how the how the environments are paced 
you have Colony 9, which is on paper a very big area, but restricted in terms of how, uh, like, it's you're, you're either per- traveling the rim or you're traveling within the crisscross. You're not, like, you don't have a full open space. Then you go to Tefra Cave, which is a bunch of caves. And then you get on the Bionis kneecap. And then you're going through these tiny cliffs. And then it opens up. And then from there, the game continually creates like bigger and bigger areas until it climax it like has a climax at Aerith Sea in terms of the, the pacing of the size. Um, which is the biggest area in the game. And just crazy. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, when it comes to the and like what I love about one of the most interesting things I've noticed about the Xenoblade series is how that how it handles um how it handles like dungeons kind of because uh, Xenoblade 1 itself does not have dungeons in the traditional sense. Xenoblade X has a little bit of it, and Xenoblade 2 has a massive one that takes up most of the end of the game. Um, but Xenoblade 1 doesn't really have any traditional dungeons. One could argue that uh, Galahad Fortress might be a dungeon, or something like uh, the Mechonis, uh, like like the Mechonis, uh interior. But um, overall, I wouldn't like that's not a broadly dungeon area. But the way the game makes up for that is. It, cr- it creates the feeling of exploration that you would have in a dungeon because in again in a normal RPG um, there's like a world map as we were talking about earlier and from that you would have uh, the only thing it's uh, the world map is a way to get from point A to point B and from and when you get to point B that's when you go into the dungeon and do the, your exploring and get all their like rewards and stuff like that but mm-hmm. Xenoblade one instead makes the entire world that kind of design while making it still feel open so it rewards you for exploration with secret areas. Um, side quests are everywhere, of course. Uh, secret, uh, secret, uh, the game shows you secret mo- uh, boss monsters, the unique monsters, if you uh, go out of your way far enough. Um, it treats you to treasure chests should you um, should you uh, try and do the right side quests. Oh, the entire game is designed to be the open world of um, of like a Final Fantasy VI or something like that, but at the same time having the level of uh, complexity that a dungeon would have. And that kind of melding just works so well for it. It absolutely does. And um, and it creates a it creates a feedback loop um, that uh, that Monolith really refined here and brought to Nintendo because I feel like a lot of people um, who play Breath of the Wild for the first time that's a very mainstream mm-hmm. game and they're talking about like how the feedback loop is so good. Well, uh, duh, it's been refined over the last five years. Exactly, that's Monolith what I tell my friends. Since... Like a lot of my friends, they don't play Xenoblade, but they did play Breath of the Wild. And one of the things that they often praise is the environment design and just the, the fact that they could just run around and find stuff. And I'm like, yeah, this is why you need to play Xenoblade. Xenoblade started that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, yeah, it's it's so good. I love the way the environment encourages you to explore. A lot of people, for some reason, complain about that. They're like, oh, there's nothing for you to find, and I'm like. What game did you play? <laughs> there's there's so much to find. And I love how um, they often foreshadow future quests. Like you'll find an item that you don't need right away, but you will need it in the future. And then you get that little vision. Like that's so cool to me. It like, it always makes you excited to see what's going to happen next. Um, and actually on that point, um, the game. So like maybe, maybe th- what they're maybe saying is that they're not getting any tangible rewards because like in Breath of the Wild, you get trying uh, quests and stuff like that, but I'm I'm suddenly remember reminded of the fact that Xenoblade has so many mechanics that uh and specifically its engine. Oh, okay. There's a couple of things. There's two points to this. First of all, 
there's a ton of mechanics that incentivize exploration, mostly the ether crystal mining, but also the fact that um, every NPC in the game has a has a unique trading uh, arsenal that yeah. you can trade with basically every NPC in the game, and their their inventory changes depending on where they are in the world, which is nuts. Uh, I remember that <laughs> and that like. That whole NPC, uh, the scheduling and the trading are two things that are both, like, really impressive and also incredibly nerve-wracking. Maybe a little frustrating. <laughs> um, but the other thing is the fact that um, the game often uses its vistas as a reward for explore exploration. Se- secret areas are all areas that are completely gorgeous from one way or another, whether it be a, a glowing moss cave or a gigantic outlook. Um, and what's great is that the the engine of the game is optimized in a way to kind of seamlessly create, uh, like, de-res the landscapes in a way to make it look so, so rolling. And if you were just to jump off, then it would kind of transition into uh, the, the live play um, in real time. And I just, I think, specifically, a lot of people think the original release on the Wii uh, looks dated, um, I would agree with that in terms of their textures, but the models themselves and everything that makes up that world is so actually beautiful, yeah. um, textures aside, that it like you eventually just start to get used to the textures and you start to see like how brilliant the the tech used to animate everything is. It's a damn good looking game, like even for its time. Like uh, I remember, I loved every second of it. Every area just captivated me. Uh, there's been many moments where I just put the controller down and stared at it because I was in awe. I, I just thought this was so cool. Like, yeah, there's technically better looking games on the market, even for 2012. But the fact that they were able to pull off what they did on the Wii, of all things, is mm-hmm. just something so crazy and incredible. Yeah, it, it was really crazy. Um, it's... Yeah, go for it. <laughs> oh, I was just going to add, because I mean... It's it's crazy, but also that the fact that there's like things can look different depending on the time of day. Like, I mean, Satoru Marsh is one, but it it's just yeah, it's it's a spectacle spectacle on multiple levels depending on various aspects of the game. That was pretty mm-hmm. cool. Um, yeah. Then, um, and then, like, and every and everything in the game is built, or and even like, even like the game has the game. I feel, I feel like when playing the game, it has two missions. The first is, uh, the first mission is this world idea, this idea of integrating this kind of overworld and dungeon exploration into a single thing and making a feedback loop that makes it satisfying to play, um, especially in a JRPG. And the second thing is to incorporate visions into everything. <laughs> um because it really is uh the game is designed around uh shulk's vision so gameplay whether it be side quests or combat everything is um and of course the story everything is based around the idea of changing um adapting and changing um depending on what's going on yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i like that though because it was neat to see how the story impacted the gameplay and I think Zenoblade 1 did that in a really, really great way. Yeah. I think the only thing that was slightly... It, that would slightly feel a bit like it was too much for people that are completionists like me was like too many side quests. But it's mostly like the amount per 
like places like I would never continue the story because I was just always stuck in side quest. <laughs> side quest were your concern? I I like I guess you're just ignoring the achievements. No, 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 no. It's the contrary. I always wanted to go for all the shinies, and because of that, I actually never finished the game. I ended up watching the cutscenes while I was playing Xenoblade 2. Huh. <laughs> Dude, if, if you want, I can send you all 120 pages of notes that I have on the quests oh in the game. Um, it's a, it's adapted for it's adapted from Chega Conroy's walkthrough. Um, I basically watched that thing religiously and and, and turned it into uh, a side quest log that I could constantly look at. Um, I need I, I have a friend who's I'm gonna send them to anyway, so I need to find a way to PDF them. But if you want them, if you can read my eighth grade handwriting, <laughs> take them. <laughs> Jeez, eighth grade. Eighth grade was when I played Xenogears. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm young. Hi. Wow, I feel like <laughs> youngest person on the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah it, it was. I guess it, it could help, but at the same time, I would feel bad if if they're like handwritten. I would feel bad to make you like memorize a hundred something pages. <laughs> so yeah, I'm so I... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's. it's... Overall, though, I think I think one of the big strengths of it, though, was really the, the story and the world and in general was just like the world in general was just so pretty and like yeah. the story was so like I think it's one of the story that Molly wrote of the games that I played, anyways. That was the most like kind of all together and complete. Like they. They really managed to actually make a, a story that was very stable with Zelda One, and like I, I, I really like their other games that have like super complicated stories. Like, like I'm super, I'm a super huge fan of Zelda Saga, which is a huge like rabbit hole. <laughs> but like, I did enjoy the fact that the story of Zelda One was holding together so well, and it was just like super smooth going. Like, I really, really like this story. And the also, pacing definitely... Yeah, the pa- no, yeah, go ahead, the pacing, yeah. yeah. The, the pacing bed definitely handles the best out of any Monolith Soft game. Yeah. Honestly, it's it's the most conservative Monolith has ever gone with their story. Yeah. And for, um, and for Monolith, that is overly ambitious for literally any other studio. Yeah, it's a, it's a very... Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. It's also one of the more consistent ones for sure. It doesn't quite reach like the highs of some of their other stuff, but it com- but it doesn't come anywhere close to reaching the lows. <laughs> yeah, it's specifically how they... Uh, I, yeah, I would say that... Um, I would definitely say things like Xenogears and Xenosaga are deeper in terms of their on uh, what kind of stuff that they choose to do. Yeah. But yeah. my one my my only issue is that it's payoff without the setup. That's... Yeah, Xenoblade, that's and my I, issue I would, tell. There's... Yeah, there's a bit of issue, there's a bit of this issue in Xenoblade Chronicles X as well, and I would even a little bit of Xenoblade Two, but that's less so. Um, but Xenoblade One is uh, one of the very few games I've ever played where it feels like the game is moving faster than I can predict. <laughs> um, <laughs> Prediction fun. The only other one I can think of is The World Ends with You. Um, so, uh, like, it's a game that like you like you you don't you're you're never settled into place, right? You're always like, I don't know what's going to happen next. I feel like the game is withholding 
so much information from me mm-hmm. and it's ticking me off but that's why you stay because you want to see how it how it proceeds i like and that too, a lot actually yeah no i love it too it's 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 a, it's a mark of good yeah. storytelling and like every other monolith game, I mean, Xenoblade X went through major rewrites. Xenoblade Two, it does that a little bit, but it doesn't actually start to set things up until it's halfway through the game, um, which is kind of a shame because Xenoblade One sets it up from the very beginning. Um, and then like Xenogears and Xenosaga, I mean, like they try to set things up, but just um, development schedules and s- way too large of a scope. Um, ended up kind of like, okay, we just need to get these points out of the way, and if we can do some kind of setup, we can. Um, so, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bashing on Xena Saga or Xena Gears. I love those games to death. Um, but, uh, I, it just, it's, I think it's a, it's a trait of how strong Xenoblade's not necessarily story overall is, but it's storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to be honest, when I was first looking forward to Xenoblade, and when it was, originally announced that E3 is Monado, beginning of the world, I I, I admit I was mostly looking forward to it because, like, oh, yeah, Monosoft is back. I, I hope this is exactly like Xenosaga. And I, I played it, and then it was like, no, this is not exactly like Xenosaga, and that's not a bad thing. It took me a while to realize that that wasn't a, ba- that wasn't, uh, a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, it wasn't, but like I said earlier, they still have their sort of touch of like style of writing sort of. Oh yeah, there's like hints. Or maybe like they have hints, a way like, of still... writing stories that like you, you can always if you play their older games you'll always feel a certain amount of nostalgia or you'll see some small things or ideas that they'll reuse and you'll just be like they'll reuse it but like a different way sort of and like Mm-hmm. you'll be able to make the calls sort of and be like oh they they reused that but they made it more this way that's pretty cool and stuff but it's just they have this sort of style of writing that I just really mm-hmm. enjoy all the time and I like how they they kind of always try to do some types of like winks to their old stuff too like I and I think it's something that always like kind of hype me over because i'm just like okay what's gonna be the little wink wink to to something that i know (laughs) but yeah Yeah, i mean like every xeno game is gonna have gnostic and some christianity references every xeno game is gonna do some crazy thing with this idea of what like the human condition um and i feel like uh um, Xenoblade, of all the Xeno games, including what came after, is easily the most subtle. Um, yeah, it's a like, lot more subtle for sure. Yes, yeah. I agree. Xenoblade 2 is my favorite game of all time, but even I admit that game like struggles hard to make its point across in terms of its pacing and how it's explained. Um, but Xenoblade 1, it, it does it in stride, and it knows exactly... Xenoblade 2 was pretty okay with the pacing, personally, but... That's an, that's a discussion for another issue. Yeah. Uh, like a, that's an issue for another discussion. I love Xenoblade <laughs> Two to death, but um, I love Xenoblade Two to death, honestly. But it does have its issues that I am fully free to admit. Um. Uh. Yeah. Like I actually didn't mind Xenoblade One going for more subtle route. I know a lot of people who hate Xenoblade One. That's general and love Saga. That's generally that's generally one of the reasons why they wanted the all the religious references uh-huh. and the um, psychological you know references there too but 
I played Xenoblade right after playing all of Xenosaga. Like, I had finished Xenosaga 3, I think, only a few months before I played Xenoblade, believe it or not. So, to have to go through all of Xenosaga and all that, that giant rabbit hole to Xenoblade, it was very relaxing, to say the least. (laughs) (laughs) So, I definitely welcomed it. (laughs) I will quote David on this. Xenosaga is a full-time job. (laughs) Yeah, it it is. And like I said before, like at the time, I was not really in a good place. So Blade 1 was like the perfect game for me. The perfect chill experience, relatively speaking. Yeah, really. It really was. Yeah. I think what brought me into Xenoblade 1 was its air of mystery. Like, Mm. so we have these two giants fighting each other, they die and and then some races and communities spring up across their bodies, and then there's and then we have a kid okay. who can see the future in short bursts. And like, what is this place? How does this power work? Like, it's like giants and uh, foresight are things that kind of resonate with me. And I like how it drew me in without explaining too much in the marketing. I won't deny that I was brought into Xenoblade. Um, the reason why I stuck with it is because I was a major Bionicle fan in my childhood. Same here, same here. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I saw, like, especially in the opening cutscene, I saw a lot of like parallels to how that story really kind of finishes off. And I'm just like, okay, I want to see, like, gigantic gods are a good sign. Let's see where this goes. Yeah. Honestly, like, I, I think that that whole scene of, like, the two giant gods or robot-looking things, like, fighting each other, like, kind of stroking, oh, that looks so cool and, like, mysterious at the same time to a lot of people, and I think a lot of people may have seen that and been like, yeah, I want to try this, I want to play this, where can I play this? <laughs> I mean, it stood out. A lot yeah, of people is. will cite that. Blade 1 had a very unique setting. Even rev- people who like dislike the game, I've seen them praise the setting. They say, wow, that was actually a pretty interesting setting. Yeah. Two mm-hmm. continents in the form of two giants. Like, bigger than Ultraman. Yeah, and then you have like different um, colonies on there and all sorts of different races living on them. Colonies, villages, oh. empires continuing like the world building is actually a very interesting um point to bring up just because of how thorough it yeah. is yeah um because uh another thing that you notice pretty quickly is that humans are not called humans in this game they're called homs um and i feel like for us nowadays years later after playing it it it's almost second nature to us to call the the humans of the 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 colony nine specifically and colony six the the homs but at the time it's like you don't really think about that in fiction, right? Like, what do you call the average human? How do you different? Like, it, like, would you still call it a human in this world? I know Xenoblade Two doesn't do that. It calls everyone a human, regardless of if they're in the line or whatever, um, which might be a part of its actual message. But in Xenoblade One, it's their homes, and then there's the Nopon, and then there's the Hyantia, and then there's the Machina, and every one of these has different traits. Some of them live way longer than others. Um, and so, because of that, the entire story is told from the perspective of the shortest living species, uh, sentient species on this world, and you find out more stuff, 
as you experience things that like from people who are vastly older than you until you get to the machina and things start clicking together yeah you know that's a really good point i actually never even thought of that like that the homs is the um they have the shortest lifespan of everybody, everything else there, and the story, the story is told from their perspective. That's actually incredibly interesting. Oh my goodness! Yeah, um, it it like one of the things I one of the things I I look at whenever I'm saying like, do I like the story? Is um, it's the first step is take all the characters away and give me like a five minute elevator pitch about how the story works out without mentioning a single character. And the second thing you do is from what perspective are you telling it from? And it feels intentionally chosen to choose the shortest-lived species um, as like the driving force because mm-hmm. when you're when you're coming back into the game, especially on a second playthrough, because the game is incredible on a second playthrough, um, uh, you can't help but notice how naive you were the entire time because you are put into those sh- those shoes and you notice like, oh, I know how this, I know where everything shook up, I know how this all started, I know how this all ends. They are. But they're only speaking from their personal experience, which is an age span of 80 exactly. years. But then you have people like Egil, who are like 9,000 years old, or like however long Much longer ago, than the, any the living Hyantia. Mm-hmm. Which, again, are, which in themselves are vastly older. They're like hundreds of years old. And freaking even um, the Nopon are, uh, they, they, I think they average around 150 um, for their max lifespan. Yeah, I don't fully remember, yeah. but... Yeah, they live a long time. I think the one exception to that is the Nopon Sage. Like he lives, he's lived an insanely long time compared to the others. Do we know that? I yeah, don't I know. remember yeah, seeing that on the affinity chart. Well, I mean, all the Nopon live pretty yeah. long. So, uh, let's see. Um, uh, age nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine years. Oh, the, the the knob on Sage. That's yeah. what you're talking about. I thought you were talking about Chief Dunga. Oh no, like, no, no, he's not old. him. Yeah, the not- yeah. yeah, yeah, the knob on Sage himself. He's almost mythical in his uh, in his age. So I, th- he's designed to be. Um, yeah, he's designed to be almost like a legendary character, like the god of the knob on. <laughs> okay, uh, but on that note, does Dunga have an age? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Well, he doesn't have an affinity chart okay. entry. If he does have an age, it was done in uh, in uh, extra material and not in the uh, game okay. itself. Okay. Um. Okay. So. Um. I one thing. Well, I don't. I don't know what you guys. What kind of topics you guys want to talk about? Um. But one thing I do want to touch on. One last thing for me is I want to talk about the 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 mechanics that are specific to this game. So I'm mm-hmm. speaking specifically about gem crafting. Yeah. Um, and, uh, well, we already talked about trading a little bit, but, like, gem crafting is a big one, uh, as well as, um, specifically how, uh, the arts palette works, and, um, what else? I feel like there's something else I'm completely missing. Vision, I think we touched visions earlier, um, yeah, we, I'm sure it'll come up, but, uh, my point is, there's a lot of interesting things that they did to make the gameplay of this game, uh, more in depth. Um, I mean, skill trees are a big one as well. Um, as well as the, uh, um, I, I mean, gem crafting is it, in itself a fascinating um, mechanic that I myself have gone into. Um, as really I good. did fight. Uh, one of the things I've, um, yes. one of the things I like about the, one of the things I like about the gem crafting system is uh, how it ma- forces you to moderate numbers. And what I mean by that is. When optimizing gems, you want to create cylinders specifically that are below 100, 
um, but as close to that as you possibly uh, can. Yeah. And then from there, you're able to maximize your gem uh, amount because through that, I was able to make the most busted setup to take on the Avalanche Odyssey, um, including 100% topple resist gems, which is awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, I don't know what you guys have to think about that. I know it's an incredibly confusing system for a lot of people, um, but yeah. I think yeah it it was a really it was a really uh, neat system though I do appreciate um, the streamline gems and and augment mechanics in the later games. Uh, mm-hmm. I, it just it just made things a lot easier for me to get some really good gear. Uh, I think for me, what I was focused most on for that part of the game was uh, trying to figure out which characters, which combination of characters would work best for this situation. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, do I? Do I go with the the person who can give me more gems, or do I go with the person who can who can help me get the most cylinders out of this specific cluster of crystals? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like, and of course, that's entirely dependent dependent on affinity, which this is still the only game in the series where affinity is depend is uh, between all mm-hmm. the party members and not between uh, not between two indiv- like. In Xenoblade Chronicles X, it's all centered around the protagonist, and then in Xenoblade 2, it's all centered around the blades. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, that was one thing I actually did not like about Little Blade 1, is because it was a real pain in the ass for me to have to manage my party and try to build affinities among uh, each yeah. party member. And it was especially annoying for uh, the heart-to-hearts, because, oh God, like... Yeah. Oftentimes, you'd find heart-to-hearts, and you couldn't get to them till very late in the game, and I would always forget that they're even there, and then I'd have to grind up and make sure I have the right characters equipped. Like, I like how Zettelblade 2 did it better, where you just found a heart-to-heart, and you could just do it as long as you happen to have it unlocked on their affinity chart. So it, it just made it a lot easier, a lot smoother for me. Yeah. And it's a shame because there's a lot of character development that's in the Xenoblade 1 heart-to-hearts. Some of them are actually really good. But, like... Ricky. Yeah, Ricky, Ricky. has a lot of good ones. R- Ryan has some really good ones, too. And it's like... It's Caterpillars, Ryan. You do- Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just a, it's a shame because, like, I'm sure a lot of people missed out on lines like the Caterpillar one. <laughs> a lot of people missed out on that, and it's it sucks. Um, yeah, that, that actually is interesting, because especially, I don't think any of them are, like, in a s- kind of storyline, really. They're all pretty, like, self-contained little episodes between mm-hmm. the two characters, and, and like, the, the main purpose of it is to promote affinity building, right? Mm. And it makes you wonder, like, why on earth are there max level heart-to-hearts? That's what I'm I mean, saying. obviously, it's like, character it's, development, but... It's so stupid, <laughs> Yeah. Why do you need it to be max level? It the, the the gameplay mechanic of it is useless now. I guess to reward. If I wanted you? to go grind affinity, I could go do the guy with the sleep counter spike. See, that's the one thing that like I kind of hope they would they would tweak a bit, but I don't think they did. It does look like a pretty one to one remake, aside from like visuals. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I I feel like like in scenario, I feel like the battle system is more or less the same, but they may have smoothed a bit the pace of the battle. Like, I don't know; it felt slightly faster, but pretty much the same from the video I saw, anyways. Well, the animation looks. I'm just quite judging a bit from smoother. the video there, so 
since I actually think that the animation looks smoother, I think this will have a more consistent frame rate than the original Wii version. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's what I mean by smoother. Like it, it looked like the whole pacing or of the animation was smoother than what I remember. The game does slow down a lot in Mechanis, Um but then again, that's kind of the fun because you can break the game in Mechanis. <laughs> <laughs> uh side note, one of my favorite stories I like to tell people is um when I was in Mechanis, I had Dunban use Demon Slayer on uh, to finish off an enemy during a chain attack, and there were like twelve enemies in that, and that were aggroing on me, and all of them were knocked down. And I had fewer in my party to use Magnum Charge to daze them all. Cool. And it was just the it's it, if it, if you can get that working in the remake, people do it. it is the <laughs> most satisfying thing. Just give Dunban Demon Slayer for like it's not a great art typically, but for groups of enemies, it's very helpful. And you're going to probably have Magnum Charge anyway, because uh, that's one of Fiora's best arts for that part of the game. Uh, well, are we going spoilers? I should probably mention that. <laughs> well, well, I we think this place... The yeah, I think we're good yeah. with that. We're good. Yeah, we're we'll good. Be, we'll okay, I, I feel like I, I straight up just said, oh yeah, Fiora's uh, Magnum Charge ability. Um, but it's, uh, it's... At this point, it's, I think it's... even Nintendo can spoil themselves. Yeah, they don't Fiora even care about that. Back. They don't care. <laughs> and it, what's really funny about that was like, when the game originally came out, the fan base tried so hard to to hide that spoiler and to like not spoil. I remember we used to call we used to call her Seven. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. For a very long time, uh, if you went on forums, people would say, "Oh yeah, when you get Seven, she's really good. They have the, these arts." And nowadays, Nintendo's just like, "Oh yeah, here's Mecha Fiora." <laughs> <laughs> but that's how you know how good a game it is when people are willing to come together and agree to to do sp- spoiler warnings like that, like uh, yeah, like hiding a a, per- a new character's name or an old character's name behind a new name. Yeah. Can oh, but b- back on what uh, Owen was talking about, like one of my favorite things in just any Xenoblade game is when you set up an attack that's just a straight-up, like, screen nuke. Like, one of my favorite things to do in Xenoblade 2 is when I'm fighting Reeking Douglas. So, Reeking Douglas has a move where he can call a whole bunch of um, other enemies, and he could fill up the screen. What you should do is um, do the dark orb chain and seal reinforcements and then fight him. That's the smart way of fighting him. The fun way of fighting him, and the way I like to fight him, is to just let him... Call all the reinforcements he wants. Uh-huh. Continue building the orbs. Uh-huh. Just focus on him, and then in the chain attack, um, once you once you build up like your damage by a good like eight hundred percent, have Cosmos do X Buster, <laughs> and just watch the screen just fill with numbers. It's great. <laughs> my eyes are bleeding, yeah. and then the so so many, and then the game slows so down. <laughs> numbers are like uh, like that. But yeah, that, that's yeah. If you can do that kind of setup, please do. It's really fun. But Blade One had some really, really nice setups. Naked Dunban, anyone? Uh? <laughs> I I never use that strategy. I hear it's good. It's awesome. Um, I yeah. just I just preferred I just prefer to grind up for the uh, the agility six gems. Yeah, I never I used that either. <laughs> that just reminded me. They're adding one of my favorite. Um, things from Xenoblade X into the Definitive Edition, and that is fashion gear. Oh yeah, fashion gear is yeah. gonna be cool. Really? Yeah. Yes. 
I am so excited about that. Yeah. I don't have to make Ryan look ridiculous for the first half of the game? Nope. Right? Yep. <laughs> no, <Nope>, not <laughs> <Sorry>. anymore. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, like, some equipment you would get look, like, amazing, oh, and some others look not so good, but you were like, well, I kind of have to equip this, because otherwise I won't have any defense. <laughs> Especially characters like Ryan, who can equip heavy armor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the heavy armor, oh my god. It looks like a walking tank. Yeah. A walking, talking tank. <laughs> until until halfway through the game where you get Magnum Charge and you realize that you can just start damage, uh, grind, damage spamming him. <laughs> I actually am very excited for that, because that makes... Oh my! Oh my God! You can use early game. Un, you can use the un, early game underwear to your advantage. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! The underwear is so good, but I hate using it. <laughs> um. Also, uh, side note: I would like to acknowledge the fact that Xenoblade is correct in his assumption that glasses make everyone more powerful. <laughs> yes. No shame in yes, wearing glasses. That's correct. Everyone is Magane. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Um, Everybody. That was another thing that I loved about uh, Xenoblade when I first played it. I loved how the outfits carried over into cutscenes. Yes, yes. Well, the entire game is actually... Um, that's really... So that actually does two things. One, it's really cool because... Hey, outfits yeah. that... Lot, not No discontinuity. Um, but the second nice thing is that... Um, uh, if games are if like the cutscenes are rendered in engine, I think it's more efficient than just well, it's more efficient on development uh, uh, costs than just to make everything pre-rendered. Um, if you want a good example of how different something can be, look at Resident Evil Four. Um, in the GameCube version, that entire everything is rendered in engine, so anything mm-hmm, that changes that's right. uh, is the same. But then if you look at the PS2 version, yeah. everything is pre- like all the cutscenes are pre-rendered, and so there's a lot more of a disconnect yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, if I remember right, it's not just clothing that carries into cutscenes. Even time of day and, and people's attacks can change depending on what weapons you have equipped. Uh, no. Well, everything, yes, except for that last. Yeah, part, I was gonna say I do change. not remember that. I'm. Yeah the the attacks don't the attacks don't like, change. I know this of, because Dunban the has color several of the attacks at least. You mean like no? the trails? Yeah, like I'm pretty sure that was on the website too. Hmm. Dude, Def- define. Like I, I think he means like when like you're swinging when a sword had, and like you know how like when Melia had a, a certain attack it was yellow but for a different weapon it was red. Oh yeah, yeah he, okay. he he means the attack trails like when you're swinging and then you get that little trail. I think yeah, that's, that's what, what I mean. Yeah okay okay yeah that makes more sense because I'm like the th- because one of my um one thing I uh, on that topic one thing that I don't like is um the is the the battle against Mumkar in. Uh, sword Valley. It's the last battle, and when Dunban has a sword to his throat, and it's such an awesome moment. But Dunban's best weapon for that m- part of the game is like an axe weapon that has a rounded tip, so it's so much less intimidating. Oh yeah, because <laughs> there's there's like an inch of space, and if you have like his proper katana, it's like right up to his throat. But if you have like his rounded axe like kind of weapon, it's like there's like an inch of space. It's that's something, all right. <laughs> yeah, like. If you're playing this for the first time, you just keep it. Just have him, have him equipped with his glaive. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the glaive, you yeah, could the debate. Glaive he starts with. You could debate the. Mecha- Sorry. Yeah, I know. I I did that. 
you could do that if you wanted. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Not. I was just saying, like, um, it, I would agree, except it just the stats on that weapon are not particularly great for that point mm-hmm. in the game. So. Yeah, like, you can swap, you can swap it and, right after the battle, though, right? Yes, you can. I'm, I'm just saying that, like, that might not... Well, I mean, I guess you don't have to use Dunban in that battle, but, I mean, who wouldn't want to use Dunban in that battle? <laughs> uh, it'd be cool if we could do fashion weapons, I guess. <laughs> but that... Oh, uh, yeah. But... Probably not, I assume, but... I don't know, like... Uh, I guess we'll just... I guess we'll just have to see when we get the game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, Xenoblade 1's... uh, Everyone has a one-weapon class, and the reason why they couldn't do uh, fashion weapons in Xenoblade X is because the protagonist could wield every single weapon. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I don't know, maybe. I, I... No promises, of course. We'll know in a few short weeks, but... That'll be interesting. Yeah. Um... Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a thought and I lost it. <laughs> oh no! So, who was everyone's favorite character to play as? Shulk, like hands down, Shulk. Uh, Shulk. I think I think I mostly played Shulk because I mean, when you get to use a flight for a tag, it's kind of hard to get to know like how the other characters work. But I do mm-hmm. remember at some point I did. I think for some tr- more tricky battles, I did switch to Sharla sometimes just to like. Do the healing a bit more mm-hmm. aggressive. Keep everyone alive. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good strategy. Um, the I know for me, um, I mean, Shulk is the best character in the game by far because uh, the game is designed around uh, the MMO trinity of DPS, support, and tank. Um, although support is less important, but Shulk can do both DPS and support at the same time yeah. because he has sixteen arts, uh, constantly active. Um, while everyone else at Link can have eight. Um, so that's neat. Uh, but aside from Shulk, I would definitely say Dunban. Um, I think Dunban is a really fun character to play. I know a lot of people who play Dunban. I think his, I think the way his arts are, his, his arts are laid out in almost like, um, I mean, like, uh, this is such a bad analogy, but like in fighting games, how people say there's combo trees where one thing sets up into the next thing, sets Uh, into the next thing. That's basically Dunban's entire. That's basically Dunban's entire own. thing. It's like Dun, like, yeah, yeah. It's Gale Slash into Tempest. It's it's Gale Slash into, um, uh, his top. It's it's Gale Slash into Electric Gutbuster into, um, his top art, which I can't remember the name of. And then you can do something like his double, his two hit attack that I can't remember the name of either. Um, and then of course, uh, Blossom Dance is the greatest thing ever, and it does four hits. So yeah, I'm kind of glad you get him later. So that you have to train with that, with Shulk and Rhine. Like, getting that uh, status combo set up properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, the game is very smart in teaching you how to do break and topple, because it's the most important thing in the game. Yeah, it is. Uh, Especially against the Mechon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because that's the only way... You, the, the, the game basically forces you, like, if you do not know how to use the break and topple, you have to figure it out now, or else you are going to die. Repeatedly. Yep. <laughs> A lot. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah, the, I'm trying to think what else. That was good. Um, I like all the character play styles. Like, I even played Melia for a good portion of the game because I don't know. I just find um, the whole nuke yeah, setup think, to just be really satisfying. I think I had the most fun with Shulk in a way, but at the same time, like, like I said, it's, it's also because like you start as Shulk, so like you get used of like this character. It's kind of hard to break down and go to others and be like 
strong enough or like good enough to like make proper combos when you don't know the character necessarily, but yeah. Well, at the same at the same time, the game probably is the best when it comes to incentivizing different party member usage yeah. because in an X you have a protagonist and basically you're trying to build up that protagonist to your own liking. So, um, and you'll want a very specific playstyle, and the AI is kind of not great with whatever playstyle you have in store. So you're probably going to be playing your protagonist most of the time, um, which honestly that's what you should be doing anyway. That's the only mandatory party member in the game, and then um. Uh, oh, outside of story, I mean. And then Xenoblade 2, I mean, like, you can use other people that interact, but, like, the AI is so good at at managing, like, everyone else. Yeah, and the AI is Rex is good. the most... Rex is, like, the best character. Like, he has four active blades while the other people have three, and uh, his he is healing at, on the whim and everything. Like, there's no reason to turn off him. Um, but Xenoblade 1, I mean, it's partially incentivized by inf- Affinity, but also the fact that by boss design, um, especially around the halfway point, uh, well, the uh, 33% point where uh, you're forced to fight a lot of Telethia mm-hmm. and you 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 learn to use Ether attacks yeah. with Melia and Ricky. Um, honestly, the character, I mean, everyone, okay, I don't like using Sharla, but even Sh- I found Sharla to have her um, uses. Sharla um, stopped the- being useful for, to me, like, towards the, like, second third of the game. She was okay at first because, okay, she can heal, but, like, after that, I kind of didn't really use her all that much. Yeah, I think later yeah, on, yeah, I, I, I that a lot. swapped her out with other characters because at that point, Shulkaori had more skills due to heal, so I was doing both attack and heals yeah. a lot with Shulk. I feel like if I play the game, uh, when I play the game again, I might be looking into Dunban more because something I noticed about pretty much all the Zeno games, is that affinity... Uh, not affinity. Agility is, like, the most busted stat in, like, the entire freaking game. Like, especially Xenoblade 2. It's, it's like, stupid with Morag when you um give when you do her little agility uh, build. I think I've showed you guys my agility build with Morag. It's mm-hmm. nuts. I can, like, super bosses don't touch me. It's amazing. And it's, like... I mean... Yeah, I, I, I actually really like the Eva tanks. So I'll probably be playing as mm-hmm. Dunban again. I mean, ag- like agility was so busted in this game that they separated into two into two different stats in X and uh, three different stats in uh, two. So, well, was it three or two? I don't remember. Um, uh, so, I mean, if there's any time to use Dunban, it's the, uh, an agility tank. It's this one. Um, uh, I do want to give Charlotte some credit because there was one specific quest late in the game to get one of the replica Monados. You need to kill an, a level eighty three monster, and to, at this point, you're probably level seventy ish. And it's really dangerous, but it's not really like a special boss monster or anything. So what I did was I had Shulk on AI, um, and then I used Ricky to spam Roly Poly to get it to force topple, and then Shulk would presumably daze it, and then Charlotte would headshot it, and it would kill it, and it would get me the drops I needed. Um, so if you're um, one thing I will give Charlotte credit for is that she's very useful when going when uh, when under leveled. Uh, but if you're going through a normal playthrough with the normal amount of side questing, you probably don't need her too much. <laughs> I don't fully recall, like, at the point of the game I was at, like, who I was using fully, but I definitely, most likely, had Shulk and Dunban, and probably the third one was the one I was swapping, depending on the situation. <laughs> well, I think this next playthrough, I'm definitely going to try out Melia more, because I remember when I played originally, I was not very good at her, but 
after hearing yeah, that, you, you gotta do some you, pretty specific you, stuff with her. Yeah, just spam summon bolt. No, but even before you do that, you gotta set that up properly too. That's why the AI can't play her because like there's some very specific stuff that you need to do. You have to summon the correct elements. Then you gotta do the duplicate, and then you then you discharge with summon bolts. And I think like the AI just does not know what to do with any of the elements. So like, if you have Melia on your team, do not do not have her on your team unless you're gonna actually play as her. It is fun though. Like if you learn how to play as Melia, she's actually pretty awesome, and I think she could even self topple too. If I remember, yeah, correctly. she does. Uh, she has she has spear break, which is a very specific uh, which is a very specific brand of breaking where it doesn't actually inflict the break status. Because Starlight Kick, um, it, it only works like after Spear Break. Right. Um, and when you do Starlight Kick, it force topples on enemies that would be immune to break, but not immune to topple. Yeah, yeah, she was really good. And I remember, like, I remember she was great for the super bosses, too. Because, like, you don't get that, um, what was it? I think Blade 1 had, like, this thing where uh, enemy agility would be f- ridiculous depending on, like, if there were six levels higher than you, like, their agility would just be way up. But, like, that didn't apply to magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, magic is 100% accurate. So, like, Melia was really good for super bosses. And I-, I remember even back in the day, a lot of people who were trying to solo super bosses, they would use Melia. I, Loki, did not use Melia in any of my super boss attempts. Um, uh, I try, um, I feel like every year, roughly, I try and boot up my old Wii copy. And I try going into any of the super bosses with my old build, and I get absolutely destroyed because I'm not practiced in the game at all. Yeah, I gotta practice too. Like, if I was to try to play some of the super bosses today, I would just get destroyed. Xenoblade 2, no. But <laughs> Blade 1, yeah. <laughs> I-, I-, I need to um, remember how to play that well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, even my- if it's similar systems, it's still, like, both are still very different and have their particular yeah. ways of, like, triggering combos there's a lot of there's a lot of nuances and quirks um um, blade 2 is very fresh on my mind because i spent a lot of time playing that and optimizing in that so i know what i'm doing with that but blade one uh it's been it's been a hot minute so yeah i I know when i play it it's gonna be there's gonna be a bit of an adjustment period for me yeah i don't think i've played the my wii copy in a while partly because i don't have the hardware to do it anymore i i still have my wii I just don't have a television to use it with. Get an HDMI converter, it's very yeah, helpful. Yeah, I did just get that. Get one. But I don't want to play the Wii in the kitchen, is the problem. <laughs> and I'd rather not yeah. bring that kitchen TV to my room, so I'm possibly considering getting a, a TV for the for my bedroom. I mean, you could always look if some people are selling older TV or something. Yeah. Like, a lot of people, if they buy a new TV, they're either going to sell the old one very cheap or just give it away. So, you never know. Yeah, you never know. But thankfully, the Definite Edition is coming out soon. And, and, yeah. and for that, I don't actually need a TV. I can just play it on the Switch screen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, um, on, this, on the note of the Definitive Edition, uh, I do think it's interesting that... Um, I mean, okay, so obviously, uh, this is the third release of Xenoblade, um, and I, 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 I don't know. Okay, so I, I'm really excited for the Defend Edition. I think it looks really good. Mm-hmm. It, it looks like gorgeous. looks purely from a, but it does look gorgeous. I agree. 
but I feel like um I feel like it's gonna be a hard adjust for people who've been looking at Xenoblade One, yeah. the Wii the Wii version for yeah. years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I say this is because when you start Xenoblade One, it doesn't matter who you are, you are going to be off put by how the game looks because the eyes are blurry, the textures aren't exactly the like again, the textures aren't exactly highest quality. It is a hard game to look at at first. But over time, as you play more hours in it, and as you start looking at more vistas, it starts to, like, you start to get more comfortable with that style. And that is what, that in your eyes is what Xenoblade 1 is. The Xenoblade 1 is painterly, it is muddy, it is that. And here comes the the Definitive Edition, which, for a normal player, this is going to be the version you're going to play first, and you're going to be just fine. But for veterans, it's going to be a hard adjustment again because you've been used to looking at xenoblade one models for 10 years now um ah, it's been that long <laughs> personally i am 100 percent fine with it maybe i just have an open mind but like i saw those visual the new visuals and i'm like this is amazing i like Honestly. that character's emotes i like i get it does xenoblade one looked a certain way but like i'm not someone who's gonna be like this is the only way it could look anything else is wrong no that's stupid i hate that mindset yeah. to be honest yeah, i think uh, it's to counterproductive honest, to do that to be honest i really enjoy the new style because it's more colorful they have more expression to them like their face is actually even more animated and stuff and i'm just like i'm all for that because i feel like the seeds are gonna deliver even more like feelings and impact just from that alone. So exactly. personally, like I I don't really care for the whole oh like like every every people that say like oh like, the old style is like the only one that can be, but it's like the old style was this way because of the limitations. Exactly. So like let's, it was let's not stop pretending what like they it was... wanted to transpire this early. It was what they could do with the technology at the time. So Exactly. Let's stop pretending like this was something that they were deliberately trying to go for. They were deliberately trying to go for this. There there are some real hardware limitations at play here. Not only that, but I feel like the new style they adopted, especially with Xenoblade 2, I feel like they kind of grew accustomed to it in the matter of, like, they can animate the faces so much better yeah. and stuff, and it, like, it really delivers the scene so well. And it, it's crazy, because I've seen people say that they feel like the new uh, the new game isn't as detailed, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, like, okay, <laughs> Let me I just mean, put it this way. They did their best with, in 2010 and 2009 with the first version. They're doing their best with the definitive edition, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the thing. They they are pretty much reusing what they've learned from Zillblade 2 and the, the way of animating, the way of doing the colors and everything. And also and X. Like, the, the hardware. Oh, yeah. the, the hardware is much more powerful, too, so... It changes a lot of like what they can actually deliver, and of course they're gonna use the highest thing they can deliver, which is their new style. So, and to be honest, I thought the original character models for the the game were, were hideous, in my opinion. That's yeah, fair. You That's know what? Fair. I think they look it's cool. It's kind of unique, but at the same time, like it felt a bit stiff. Like, like, especially it, it, going, when you compare it to Xenosaga Episode Three, 
Right, going from Xenosaga mm, yeah. to Xenoblade was yeah. I like okay. I love Xenoblade One, but I'm not even gonna like pretend that it was like I'm not even gonna say that it was an upgrade from Xenosaga Three. It wasn't. Xenosaga Three was gorgeous. Like so to this day, so it still looks fantastic. I had it on the it's other night. It's an upgrade to Xenosaga Two. <laughs> <laughs> Two is not a bad looking. It's game. not a bad looking game actually. It's different, it's but I actually don't mind renders it. But Xenosaga mm-hmm. 3 looked yeah. incredible, and then Blade, yeah, it, it, it didn't fare quite as well to me. It doesn't, it, it doesn't hold up as well either. Like, it's yeah. impressive for what they did, don't get me wrong. Like, considering it's the Wii, considering how much they had on screen running at the same time and all rendering, it looks great when you look, when you think about it in that perspective, but but when you take that and compare it to what's been released since, yeah, it, it doesn't hold up as well. It's really interesting looking at specifically pre-release images and seeing how the character models changed yeah. because they actually, like, they the way they textured the eyes before, they, like, created, like, eye sockets for it. And it was a little uncanny, sure, but, I mean, like, it was pre-release, so they weren't re- refined. Mm-hmm. I only assume that they changed what they did was either because they wanted to focus different parts of the body um, in terms of how they wanted things to move, or because the scope was getting too big that they had to reduce the triangle count. Both are equally viable um, reasons for why it was changed so much. But um, I, I'm, I'm a diehard fan of. I love the original, uh, the original look, and I know. Okay, I know once the new version comes out, I'm gonna love it because mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, I love. I think a game looks way better in person than it does in trailers. I agree with that. Um, um, Xenoblade 2, for example, I was hyped as hell, all hell for that, but even I was blown away by how well good the game looked. Yeah. Um, because I, I've been watching all the trailers, and like the, the trailers do not give the game justice. It is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, but it's uh, also that monolith, like, every time they show a trailer, like, it's always kind of already outdated, and they always kind of like. They pretty much add on to the graphics as they go. Like, you would watch the first few trailers of like Zoblade 2 and watch the last one and you would see like how much they change between the two. Like and even the last one they I think between the what we saw in the trailer and what we saw in the game there was again like extra stuff that had been like Um so uh yeah I mean I mean the, the I think the only thing I can I can say about it is uh Xenoblade for me when I played, when I first saw the ending of this game, when I was in eighth grade, um, it was like the kind of profound, almost awake, like awakening type thing that people have whenever they finish a good piece of media and they're like, "How do I process this?" And I did have like this kind of stupor for a while of like, "What do I do now?" Mm-hmm. Because this is like this was my life. Yeah, this was like my life. I, I know watching... that feeling. That was my feeling at the end of Zimmel Saga Three. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like everyone who plays a Xeno game is gonna get that experience. Yeah, yeah at least mm-hmm. um, yeah. like we I all connect with different ones, but I feel like we all have this one out of the series that really like shook us or something, and that really stick with mm. us. Like it, it could be a different game for each person depending on their perspective and their what they live, what they feel. But like I feel like there's always at least one game that kind of like stuck with like the fan or something so yeah like for me it was saga 3 until i played xenoblade 1 and um xenoblade 1 was was the game that like really 
struck a chord with me. Um, and because of its environment, as we discussed, the gameplay, but the story, uh, Shulk really reminded me of myself at the time and both like his strengths and also his weaknesses. And going through that quest, it, I was going through a lot and I was trying to like, trying to essentially right a lot of the wrongs at the time and just trying to better myself. And watching Shulk go through the story, it felt like I was going through on that, that journey with him. And by the end of Xenoblade 1, it, I just like, I felt like a much better person. Like I had a better idea of where I could take my life. And my life has been a lot better since then. So because of that, Xenoblade 1 has always stuck out to me because Shulk's story, also Melia's story was incredibly relatable in certain spots too. And uh, both of those characters really stood out to me and they've always been memorable. And there's lines in that game that have always stuck with me and helped me in hard or dark times. And the music has always been there to, you know, be uplifting and keep me motivated. And that's why Zenobly 1 is my favorite. I miss Yoko Shimomura. That, <laughs> okay, Yoko I, Shimomura I love this. soundtrack in that game is just, oh my goodness. I, I love Yasunori Mitsuda. I think he's a brilliant composer, and I think his music is absolutely brilliant. I love his stuff. But I would be lying if I didn't say that I preferred Xenoblade 1's music over anything that he composed from Xenoblade 2. Yeah. It's tough for me. Like they're both they're it, they're both up there for me. me. But I think I think I'm more of a Mitsuda person, but at the same time, like I like both of the styles. Both, both are totally super good. They're both great. I'm but, more of a Mitsuda person, but that's because of Chrono Trigger bias. <laughs> I think it's Chrono because Trigger, of Chrono the Cross, bias yeah. that I, I grew up with his music, so... <laughs> I just I just personally think Shimamura does better with soulful music, which is kind of what Xenoblade 1 especially needed. Um, especially, well, for a lot of the cutscene music, uh, frickin' Ace comes in and does all the battle music. <laughs> Um, oh man, I love that but, music though. It's so good. Ace. Mm-hmm. Side note: uh, I also miss. Uh, the, I also kind of miss the fact that Ace pl- quote quote unquote Ace Plus isn't like composing Xenoblade games anymore. The Ace is like the, but Ace Plus is three composers, while Ace as a overall unit is two. Um, I believe one left when they were transitioning from Xenoblade one to two or something like that. I don't know exactly, but it's. Uh, I don't quite feel the loss, but I just huh. think it's worth. I mentioning. never knew that. Yeah, Ace Plus is composed of three composers. Um, when it, well, especially well, the Ace Plus listed in the soundtrack. Um, but when they brought Ace back for Xenoblade Two, they only brought two of the composers back, I believe. So, uh, I can people might want to double check on me on that, but I believe that's correct. I was also a fan of several of uh, Kenji Hiramatsu's. Oh yeah. Tracks. He's. That music's also super good. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hiramatsu is still around. He composed Torna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, did, he did the battle theme like the and counter attack <laughs> the original. He is uh, Hiramatsu is such a good um, like he, you can know what his style is almost immediately because I have friends who were when the when the first trailer for Torna dropped and we were watching it live. He was screaming, "This is Hiramatsu! This is Hiramatsu! This is Hiramatsu!" <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, is there any? Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody have anything else to share about that we might have missed? I think we covered a lot of things, maybe yeah. a bit of disorder, but I think we covered most of this stuff. 
Well, I mean, this episode was really just for for us to ramble on anyway. Yeah, yeah. I didn't didn't know if anybody had anything personal or anything else. Uh, follow following up on um the the whole Ace thing. I just looked it up. Uh, so yes, Ace is a duo. It's Tomori Kudo and Hiro uh-huh. Yamanaka, um, or or Chico. Um, Kenji Hiramatsu is the plus part, but the difference is that in Xenoblade Chronicles, the three of them work together as like a unit. Oh, he works. But in Xenoblade Chronicles two, Hiramatsu did his own work. Uh-huh. So they weren't like working together. Uh-huh. that's interesting. Definitely. So that is a kind of correction. <laughs> I was kind of right, kind of wrong. Yeah, yeah. both. Yeah, that it's, works. It's, we'll let it slide. I gotta say though, <laughs> yeah. I do love that there is like more than one musician or composer working on the games most of the time, and like also like even artist-wise, like there's been so many artists that like provided art for like the Zillblade oh. series as a whole. That's just like. It's so cool uh, to see this many people come together and do stuff. That, Monolith didn't even have what? Monolith didn't, didn't have a uh, a dedicated art director until yeah. uh, until after Xenoblade Two came out. Yeah, That's I know, right. but so, even so, well, like I, I still find it cool that it, there's multiple artists involved. Like, oh, I love that about Xenoblade Two. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I was just gonna ask: Does anyone know who is behind the like the art design and uh, or character designs in uh, Definitive Edition, or have they said? Um, I might have a lead on that. Let me let me double check. Because it doesn't. Because um, definitely not. Um, so Saito was from Xenoblade Two. Was it someone yeah, that Psycho- that was on Xenoblade Two? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that. But it doesn't look like Kanehiko Tanaka's designs from. I'm not sure designed. it is. I think yeah, I, read, uh, I did read something. Yeah, else. yeah, t- yeah. Tanaka was X, and uh, Xeno was Xenoblade X and Xenoblade. Uh, Z- sorry, not and Xeno Saga. Mm-hmm. Um, who is who? He was like a he was this random freelance guy. Um, I know that Tanaka does have his art in like the Monado, uh, the Monado secret files. Oh really? Um, I know that. Be- I was I was quoted. <laughs> I was I was responded to this morning by uh by someone who corrected me. I uh, claim to source where a piece of artwork that I'd been looking at for a very long time. Um, it's like a painterly image of Shulk and Fiora that I'd always assumed was fan art because I didn't know who drew it. Mm. But no, it was apparently um, Tanaka. Oh, cool. That, then that. W- um, but let me look at. Well, then that's sorry, cool. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say then that's cool that for like um, when Shulk and Fiora popped up in Xenoblade Two for the DLC that was they were designed by Tanaka. So that was kind of yeah. That was cool. That harkened back to that. That artwork. was her. I'm looking. <laughs> it's all right. It's like any awkward silence will be edited out. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, because I remember. Was it? Was it some? It was either. Uh, some. I don't remember when that. Takahashi said that there wasn't really a character designer for the original Xenoblade. Uh. It's yeah, wasn't been that a in bit interview? of time, but it's it's recently so that? a thing that they talked hmm. about that. Um, so I, from this random game FAQ uh, post that I just pulled up, um, the uh, let's see, um, the art dura- design was done by Akinobu Yamakawa, Tadashiro Usuda, uh, Kunihiko Tanaka, Yasuyuki Hone, uh, Tony Waimenko Ku. Um, let's see, I'm reading further. Um, 
Yeah, Tanaka only did a special uh, illustration. Um, let's see. Hmm. Uh, and, yeah, and it says uh, Tanaka, Hone, and Ku are not listed for character designs, so mm-hmm. make yeah, it that way. I remember Hone, uh, he designed the Bionis and Mechanis. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, but uh, didn't the, uh, wasn't the story, well, the final designs, wasn't the story that Takahashi built, like, the, like, a model, like, a, 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 a beta model of the, the Bionis and Mechanis and brought it into, like, a board beating one time? I, I'm pretty sure there was <laughs> yeah, a I think model. That, I thought I that model was made by... I think that model was made by Honai, though. I thought it was. Was it? I don't remember. All I just remember is that that was the, that was the, the genesis of the project. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yes. I got nothing else. Does anyone else have anything? <laughs> yeah, is anybody? Uh, nope. Not really, but I guess we could always confirm that info another time, maybe, when we have more information yeah. about character designers, because it's it feels like it's still a very uh, blurry line still. <laughs> who's, who's... I mean, they finally, they have a character designer finally, and like they have an art director, and two's like, full-time now, so yeah, <laughs> that's good. God. <laughs> I I I I love the the art of Xenoblade Two, but um, there's two. But when it comes to looking at that, there's two ways of doing it. The one is you wanted a lot of different styles to represent the different like blades and all that, and the other part was the staff. It was extremely understaffed because everyone was working on Breath of the Wild. <laughs> yeah. So, but honestly, I, mean, it, I I do like I do like the fact that there was a lot of styles and multiple artists like it. Yeah. It did something kind of unique in a way, and like the hard book is total candy. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just lemons and lemonade. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to me, it's like it was. It felt like a nice love letter to manga artists, and that, so that's why, like, whenever I got a rare blade, it was really exciting. Like, I would look them up, and I would look up the artist and look up all the stuff that they did. I thought that was awesome. I know a lot of yeah. people complain about it. They say, "Oh, it's inconsistent," but personally, I saw it as, "Hey." Here's all these artists. Check out their work. So, a collection of rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah, we'll have. To. I will. Yeah, I think I will. I think I will be doing that um, when I replay Xenoblade Two because it's, I yeah, haven't you should on the absolutely podcast. do that. It's a lot of fun. Whenever you get a rare blade, just look up their art. Look up other like stuff they've worked on. It's it's really cool. Uh, yeah, I haven't mentioned this on the podcast today, but uh, I am planning on doing Xenoblade Definitive Edition, then going straight into Future Connected, then Xenoblade 2, then Torna. Oh, nice. I'm, I'm not doing X because that the, the canonical placement of that is somewhere, and I have many theories, but that's not directly part of the story Fair. at this point. So. Fair. Yeah. Ugh, wish you luck. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to have a... I have a summer. We'll have to have a Xenoblade 2 episode like this one, like we had today. And X. Yeah, yeah. maybe a editor one about, like... Like... We could have Exilblade too, but we could also have maybe another episode after playing like Exilblade Definite, Definite Edition, like what are our thoughts on it and stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to do that, but I know people are gonna like, some people are starting the game over and some are starting with Future Connected, so it might be a bit before we... Well, I mean, we do could do that. it later on. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. right away. Yeah, it could oh, be yeah. just a, a, oh, another yeah. ramble, but about the, the new version. Because yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. like All I said, right. I, I'm doing Future Connected for a few reasons, um, but I do plan on doing a full playthrough of the normal game as well, because I just want to re-experience it. Well, the game turns 10 years old in like 20 days. So, 
Um, oh my gosh. Happy birthday, happy Xenoblade, I guess. Yeah, happy birthday. Happy birthday. It is crazy to think that it came out 10 years ago. <laughs> God. Yeah. And the 3DS port came out five years ago. Yeah, it is so crazy to think about that. And you know what? Like, it's so cool to see so many people excited for the game, too. Because, like, mm-hmm. this game that 10 years ago, it seemed like a lot of people didn't really care for or didn't really know about. And now it's become something, it's become more of a household name. Like, I could go down the street and I could tell people, hey, uh, I'm going to go play Xenoblade. They'll be like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that game. How is it? Whereas even even four years ago, if I did that and I was just like, yeah, I'm going to go play Xenoblade this weekend, people would look at me funny and be like, what are you talking about? Go play Mario, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, like I love that Xenoblade is a lot more popular and more known than it ever has been. And mm-hmm. I'm so happy that the first game helps so many people get into the series yeah. with the second game, and then other people will go back into Takahashi's other works and try out Zeno Saga and Zeno Gears, and that's so cool to me. The, the extra, Saga's gonna go up in price. The extra... Again. <laughs> yeah. The extra push it had also was also the fact that it went into Smash, and then I feel... Yeah. I think it was mm-hmm. sometime after that that they did the 3DS release, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. They did the 3DS release to prove that the new Nintendo 3DS was a viable um, and powerful console to show that it was basically a mini Wii. Yeah. I mean, it but kind you of know what's funny way, about that? Like, they never really advertised the 3DS version all that much. Anytime I ever saw the new 3DS advertised, it would show every game but Xenoblade. They'd show, like. Majora's Mask oh. was the thing. But that wasn't even exclusive to it, which is what's funny about it. Like, they would show the new 3DS, it's like, oh, we got this powerful DS, but here's all these games you can play on the regular DS, which made no sense to me. Yeah, it's 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 so weird because it was like, during it, like during the proof of concept phase, they showed, they showed Xenoblade, but when it came to actually market the, Z- the 3DS version, it's like they forgot about it. Exactly, like, I never once saw Xenoblade 3D on any poster for it. Like, if I walked into a GameStop and saw, like, posters for the new, th- for the new 3DS, I would never see Xenoblade on there. The only time I saw any kind of marketing for it was at Nintendo New York. Like, they had one have, kiosk for Xenoblade 3DS at the time. And I did see that, and that's that was when I got to try it out. But, like, outside of that, not really. I think I saw a I have I have two pieces of advertising in my room. Uh, there's a Game Informer magazine from the time around the game came out. It had a two-page spread. Um, I remember that because I refused to cut it out. Um, and that was really cool. Um, and that is a two-page spread of Xenoblade 3D. And then I have the cardboard stand uh, sitting on my shelf right now, where it, there's Shulk on it, and there's like Discover Shulk's origin through the. Yeah, I know which one you're talking and, about. Yeah. Um, so I have. I mean, like they exist. It's just Nintendo is not very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is sad because they had a lot of like media prepared for it. Like they made like six trailers. They made. They re they re-recorded like five tracks um, for for promotional purposes, um, which they put up on their YouTube channel, and I think a lot of that was the inspiration for why they chose to remaster the music in Definitive Edition because it sounds really good. Although they are missing a few instruments and they replaced it, but that's beside the point. Um, but uh, um, but they just didn't use it. Like they put them on the channel, and like that was it. <laughs> Yeah, the way they but marketed that game was just honestly, baffling. Xenoblade <laughs> had it really rough. Xenoblade one had it really rough, like as far as advertisement or releases goes. Like even even like when the 3DS version 
came around. Like, I remember a few Wii copies also came by, and, like, nobody really knew about them. They just were kind of there. <laughs> well, that's... And cost $80. Well, well that's oh. a whole other can of worms, because... And I remember this vividly, because I had the game uh, when it came out originally. I even got the pre-order art book. I even have my old shipping label for my Wii version. I still kept that. Um, so I had it, the game came out, GameStop's actually had quite a few copies of it, because, you know, who's gonna buy it that didn't pre-order it? They're just gonna sit on store yeah, shelves. Yeah, GameStop is a whole ah, story that I And then eventually, like... <laughs> yeah, and then once, like, Chugga Conroy's playthrough came out, a lot more people started getting into it, and then, uh, eventually, the Wii U came out that year. I think, was Chugga's in Yeah, I- Actually, I think but I was mixing things up. Chugga Conroy started in 2014. 2014. Okay, so then before Chugga Conroy then. So the Wii U came out in 2012, and I think some people were looking for games to play on the, on the Wii U, and then they heard Xenoblade Chronicles, like, oh, here's an RPG, maybe I'll play it. So I think, like, once that, once the Wii U dropped, um, copies started disappearing a bit more, because I think people were just looking for games to play. And then the Chugga LP came out, that introduced the, the game to a lot more people and um i also remember like prices were starting to go up even before the chugga even before 2014 prices were starting to go up but what was weird was nintendo had actually reprinted the game yeah that, that's what i was what happened I was, it was it was a 3ds but it was actually around the time i think of either i believe they did it before 3d too. it was I can't, before i can't was, remember but i think it was actually before it there was a time, I think, I think actually it was when I bought the Xenoblade X limited edition. Like, the guy behind the counter was like, you want Xenoblade for the Wii? I was just like, you still have copies of that? But no, thanks, I already have it. <laughs> so, from what I from what I remember, um, Nintendo actually did reprint the game. Like, because there was a period where it was going for like $90 plus on eBay. But Nintendo actually reprinted it. But because it was GameStop exclusive, what ended up happening was Nintendo sent those copies to GameStop, and GameStop started opening them and then marking them up um, as like eight, I think they charged like eighty bucks or something like that. They so they started selling new games as used so that they can mark up the price. They did it for that game, I believe. They also did it for Metroid Prime Trilogy as well at the time. Oh, and and I remember there was a YouTuber who actually put out this really. <laughs> This this funny video just calling GameStop out on it because if you went on GameStop's website at the time, they suddenly started putting a lot more Xenoblade stuff on the Xenoblade. But they put all these extra assets on there. So she looked up Xenoblade Chronicles on GameStop at the time. What used to be just a normal GameStop page be, suddenly became like this big Xenoblade page with all this artwork and story synopsis. So because they started promoting it more, so that they could charge more money out of it. Yeah, they started oh. doing that. And then another weird thing that happened, another really weird thing that happened, that I'm not even fully sure what the story about this is, is there's like this, um, there's like this Arabic version of Xenoblade that's been uh-huh. floating around, apparently. Uh, that, like, I've seen it at GameStops. It's apparently an official version that's in English. And you'll you can tell what it is because there's like an extra little sticker on the front cover. Oh, and have you seen that one? 
Um, I believe we talked about it um, when during the Shulk episode. We, I think we might have, out. yeah, we might have spoken about that. But yeah, that then they had that print run. I have no idea what the story with that one is, but I've seen it pop up. I've seen it in GameStops out here, so it's apparently official. But I just don't know much about it. Hey, Hikari, can you ask answer me a question for me real quick? Yeah. Uh, you said you got your copy of. Did you get? Wait, did you get your copy of XC One? Um, when you got XCX. Uh no, it's just okay. It's just at the time when I got uh Xenoblade X, uh the guy had received copy of the Wii version of Xenoblade One, and he was hiding them in the counter because I was a fan of Xenoblade. It was like, do you want this? And I was just like, gotcha. I was just like, how do you have it? But what the what you got copies? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to right. Okay, so my current my current quest that I probably work on like once a year um, is uh. So my copy of Xenoblade One has the reverse re- reverse re- the reverse cover. Like yeah. a lot of people have this version. It has a really beautiful piece of art. Right. But I know someone who has a copy of Xenoblade that they got from Z- from GameStop that doesn't have that, and I'm trying what? to figure out why that is. That's I don't probably know the it reprint. Was- I, was it the? I'm, it might be the reprint. That's what that's I'm thinking. But I don't know for sure. But no, um, the, the so first I'm, my my Zelda copy I got it on day one. So also, yeah. Uh, what you can do is take a look at the Wii case that it shipped in, because mm-hmm. if the re- I think the original print uh, over the disc over the disc holder it says Wii, and I think the second one it says Nintendo. So if that other one with with that doesn't have the reverse full cover. If that says Nintendo as well, that that might just be a giveaway that it's the second print. This one says Nintendo. I'm looking at my copy right now. It says Nintendo, but it has the reversible cover. So I have oh, no so idea. I, don't know. I, 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 I maybe I, I got it backwards. I gotta go check my copy because I know I got that one at launch. Yeah, I I don't remember. I would have to check mine as well. Yeah. <laughs> then again, then again, GameStop was selling them as yeah. used, so it's very possible that. They could have swapped out the cases. Yeah, GameStop the, yeah. opening the reprint like says and selling them as used. That's a dick move. Yeah, there was a big video that was calling them out for Xenoblade uh, specifically. I remember that too. Right. I'm Let's gonna see if I can find I'm it. I'm gonna get my copy first. Hang on. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna go take a look at mine too in a second. <laughs> We're doing a whole like. Uh, Let's uh, look at our copies. Mine's a bit short, so I'll give I, up. I now. have the UK version, so I I can't. Check that. If I went for mine, I would make a bunch of noise because I'd have to, to like open my video game thing that's at the other end of the room. So I have to dismantle my. Okay, so mine from. actually has a Wii in the case, okay. and I do have the reversible cover. Yeah. Okay. I'm. I'm. The hunt continues. I guess. Um. This is helpful, actually. I'm trying. Uh, if I ever solve this, I will let you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mine is actually at launch. I even still have the shipping label to confirm mm-hmm. that. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll, I'll I'll take a I'll if I can get a looking at the actual physical copy because my mine was I got my copy used. I it was apparently a collector uh, used to like collect Wii games and eventually sold it, okay. so it was in very good condition. But. Okay, they might have switched um, out the box. I've got my something. copy open. What am I looking for exactly? Above the disc, there's like an indent in the plastic that says Nintendo Wii. or Wii. What do you have? Okay, that's interesting. I have Nintendo, so I might. I, I don't know what that means because I have yeah, the original I do co- too. copy. Maybe. 
So, okay. This is- so that video this- that I was talking about, um, from that YouTuber, that was in 2013. So that okay. means that reprint happened before Smash Bros. even. Yeah. So that means maybe there was more than one print. There, if there, there was absolutely one was. Zillblade X as well, because they received copies then. Like, yeah. So that's what's weird about this game, because I know a lot of people said that like it was super hard to find. It was a limited print. It's hard to find. They didn't ship any games, copies. Because <laughs> games that were big pricks. <laughs> yeah. Basically, they were hoarding copies of it. So, there's definitely a lot more that exists. I believe, don't right. quote me on this, I believe the initial print run sold around 300,000 copies in North America. I saw that number somewhere. I don't know if that's fact. Oh, when you can fact check me on that one. But um, <laughs> I'll I'll do a Google search right now. Yeah, I, I think it's something I around that. I know it that. sold really well the first couple of weeks, but it had a very limited run, though. But yeah, and I believe that many of those sales were from pre-orders. Yep. Because, yeah, like, because anyone remember, that would try to get the game after pre-orders would not be able They'd be to. screwed. <laughs> well, actually, for a while they were, because I remember, uh, up until the Wii U launch, because I remember going over to other GameStops and specifically looking for Xenoblade, and I generally found it. I actually made my friend buy it one day. Uh, I was in GameStop with him. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I meant more like new after the release, like around in the year of the release, more so than later on. Like, I know around my area, it like, I would almost never see it. Oh, so I, I, I guess maybe it's, like, just... I guess my area had a decent amount. <laughs> <laughs> because I remember I would go to GameStops and I would always see them because I kept looking for them throughout the year just to see if, like, if it really was that limited. And I would see copies. It wasn't until, like, around the time the Wii U came out that they started disappearing. Mm-hmm. Eh, that's a mystery for another day. Yeah. yeah. I think at this I guess point, we should start that yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. We've... Xenoblade is great. It's on literally everything uh, post-Wii. Um, it's on Wii, new, new Nintendo 3DS, Wii U, and now it's coming on Switch. Buy yes, the game. Yes, yeah, and it, yeah I hope out. that you guys play the game. And, like, I hope you play it. I hope that um the story captures you just as much as it did to me. It helped me get through a really rough time. And right now, we are all in kind of a rough time. Yes. So I really hope that Xenoblade can hopefully give some of you you know, some sort of relief. Because Lord knows we all need it right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, So I guess we can go around and kind of discuss if there's anything anybody wants to share that they're working on or social media or anything like that. Um, Start with you, Justin. So, yeah, secret project (laughs) still underway. In fact, I had actually... Um, do some more stuff to it, especially now that Definitive Edition's coming out. But uh, I hope to be able to reveal that publicly soon, so that'd be cool. Sweet. But otherwise, not a whole lot else on my end. Alright. I'm still plotting around, I'm still plotting along with my game. Um, the demo is done, technically, in terms of a gameplay mechanics. Um, I just need to draw the assets, and my friend's gonna compose the music. Um, music's really good, I'm really excited for people to hear it. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at LegoDog2001. Um, I'm not really on that too much these days, mostly because I've been trying to get away from Twitter and spend more time in Discord. Nice. Um, but other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm still off. I'm constantly checking it. Um, I'm going to try and start writing things again soon. Um, so I'll be, I've been, 
stuff i've been having writer's block for the past few years because i didn't know what i could say about chrono trigger that hasn't already been said but i think i've found it so um hopefully that'll come out before xenoblade comes uh, xenoblade definitive edition comes out and i also want to write something about why i love xenoblade con- concisely in a paper form nice. uh when the definitive edition comes out so watch my twitter for that i guess um aside from that i do su- i do fan art and i just give random opinions <laughs> nice all right okay how about you mary well con season's canceled so i'm at mm. home playing video games <laughs> In fact, I finished Dragon Quest Eleven finally, and I started Fire Emblem finally, <laughs> and yeah, I, I'm pretty much just playing video games, and I also played way too much Animal Crossing. I have over 250 hours, and I'm like, how? <laughs> it's because of the pandemic. Ah, uh, yes. I've been, <laughs> yeah. also been bitten by the crossing bug. Oh, boy. <laughs> Same. But, but it, it goes by so quickly. Like, you, you log... You go into the game every day doing little things, and then, <laughs> like, sometime later, you look at your, your gaming clock, and you're just like, how did I play this much time? How did I invest this much time into this game? It can't be possible. <laughs> I almost invested as much time as I did in Zillowblade 2. What? To quote a certain movie, <laughs> time flies when you're playing games. Yeah. So... It's pretty much right. it. <laughs> okay, how about you, Blue? What have you been up to? Oh, uh... Get, getting adjusted into a new job. Uh, and also playing right. Animal Crossing New Horizons for, for the past week. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm doing this to myself, but I also got Fatal Frame 2 for the PlayStation 2. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. That is a I good just game. Need- I cannot play it alone, but it is a okay. good game. I just need a working memory card, my old one broke, and a working TV that I don't have to drag oh. out of the kitchen. And I'll be all set. Mm. But I also have a... I know I didn't mention this the first time I came on this show, but I have an archive of our own uh, profile where I post fanfiction. Mm-hmm. Um... I recently I did two um, things for Fire Emblem. Uh, one was a gift exchange with uh, Tiki and Robin, and I'm also doing one for my Rob Cena thing. I only have one one shot for that one, which is a little embarrassing. I need to get to the other six. Okay. Well, I can put uh, a link to your archive uh, in the show notes. Yeah, I put. Yeah, I uh, posted the link already. Okay, but yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, uh, well, I haven't... I've returned to work, um, so not as much Animal Crossing, but I've still been playing Animal Crossing. Indeed. Um, I had a big... (laughs) Yes, and I had a big Xenosaga article come out for RPG Fan a few weeks ago. Um, I'm kind of sort of proud of that um but that's that's about it that it's uh, going on with me um okay um as far as uh, the future goes we did record a cosmos episode which may or may not be published before this one i don't know it just depends because i'd like to have this episode out 
around the time that Xenoblade Definitive Edition comes out, but I can't make any promises. But since Co- the Cosmos figure has been delayed to July, we I might wait a little bit for the Cosmos episode to... Looking forward to listening yeah, to it. The, the, the that new- we're solely fine. Yeah, the news will be a little out of date, but I, I can put a warning for that. Um, but as far as anything else goes, I don't know what we're going to be really doing in the foreseeable future, but um, yeah. Um, but stay tuned. We uh, Zenochat does have a Twitter account. If it, That's kind of where we kind of put any updates or polls. Um, so that's uh, Z-E-N-O underscore chat. Um, and then we also have an email, uh, podcast at gmail.com if anybody wants to throw us any questions or suggestions or any corrections that for any mistakes we made during the episodes. Um, all right. Uh, well, thanks again for everyone for joining us today. Um, thanks, guys, for mm-hmm. yeah staying so late to t- discuss how awesome Xenoblade is. Thank you for having me again. (laughs) No problem. Yeah, and thanks. Have a good night, everybody. Bye. Bye. Take care, everybody. Now it's riding time.